We turn in Holy Scripture this morning to Psalm 119, where we begin reading at verse 121. Read two sections of Psalm 119, beginning at verse 121. I have done judgment and justice. Leave me not to mine oppressors. Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. Deal with thy servant according to thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right and I hate every false way. Thy testimonies are wonderful. Therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. The text to which I call your attention this morning is verse 133 of Psalm 119. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that your chief desire as we enter this new year? We don't have any idea what lies before us in this coming year. Not as far as the steps of our personal lives are concerned. We may have many aspirations, many resolutions. We may have a desire for our family life, for our work life, for a strong economy, for a healthy congregation. But there's one thing that must have the chief place in our minds as the people of God, and that's our relationship to God in whom we stand in Jesus Christ. That's why this prayer is so fitting. It is a prayer for today and a prayer for tomorrow, a prayer for direction, proper direction, God-honoring direction as we continue our earthly sojourn. May it be our prayer for tomorrow. As we consider this text under that theme, our prayer for tomorrow, 
we find in the words of this text a daily necessity, secondly, a fervent desire, and finally, a humble prayer. Our prayer for tomorrow, a daily necessity, a fervent desire, and a humble prayer. This prayer is offered before God by the psalmist in the consciousness of a daily necessity, namely that he be guided in all his life by the word of God. This is a daily necessity, first of all, because of the very nature of the Christian life. When we speak of a Christian, we speak using New Testament terminology, we know, but that was the life of the psalmist. To put it in different terms, his life was the life of a child of God, and that means the life of Christ was in him. That necessarily affects one's whole outlook on life. When you are a Christian, you realize that God has given you a very special place. He has taken you into the fellowship of his life and love. You're a partaker of his covenant of grace. That's something very special. There's only one way that could even happen. And that is you had to be given a new life. You had to be born again. Born from above by the Spirit of Christ. Still more, it means you had to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Your sins had to be washed away by the blood of him to whom all the sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament pointed as so many types. That's what God has done for you. And that lamb, you understand, is the only begotten son of God, his own dear son. He laid down his life for you. Even the psalmist laid hold of that promise in the Old Testament sacrifices. He was a man of faith. Well, when you know by faith the blessed fellowship of the God of your salvation, when you know all that he has done for you, then your life is governed by the desire to serve him. That's the thankfulness of the Christian. The psalmist speaks of his steps. He uses that, that very familiar figure of speech which, which compares his whole life from the viewpoint of its spiritual ethical direction to a way in which he walks. Every action is a step on that way. And those steps are manifold, as we go into this new year, we will take innumerable steps before the face of God. And those steps will include not just outward actions, but our thoughts, our aspirations as well, our desires and emotions. 
are all our joys and sorrows, even the deepest, the deepest stirrings of our inner life. All our active life as individuals in relation to the whole world around us is described by the use of that figure, steps. My walk in relationship to my wife, my family, to my fellow saints, as well as to those with whom I come into contact, my neighbors, my dealings in the church, in the school, in business, in the workplace, you name it, publicly and privately, those are my steps. Order my steps in thy word. It's necessary that every action be under the power of God's grace and falls within the rules of his word. And that is so because the word of God is not only a general rule to show us our path, but it's a particular direction to order our steps, setting before us that which is well-pleasing unto God. That word is indeed, as we read in Psalm 119, verse 105, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So the command of God, our Savior, that reigns in our minds is, be ye holy. So that, that's the calling of the word of God with regard to every step. 1 Peter 1 verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, that is, in your whole life. That's not only our calling, that's our desire, isn't it? As God's redeemed people. As we take our steps, if our condition be one of prosperity or adversity, sickness or health, we desire to carry ourselves as becoming the gospel of God. We will be haters of sin and lovers of, of God and what God loves. The psalmist sees that as the necessity of his life, to live unto God. It's, it's that unto which God has saved him. A child of God is to show himself a child of God in all things. Godliness is not a Sunday suit. It's not a suit for special occasions. It's to be worn at prayer time and meal time in the church and while we conduct our business. It's to be worn in all our relationships in our entire walk of life. And so our prayer is that God order our steps according to his word.
That's necessary for us because of who we are. In the second place, it's a daily necessity that our steps be ordered by the word of God because of what we are by nature and because of the importance of that word. It's not only true that we cannot see beyond a step in the pathway of tomorrow from a natural point of view, but our very natures are blind spiritually. If the word of God is not in us and abound, we're blind and cannot see afar off and have even forgotten that the Lord has purged us from our sins, 2 Peter 1 verse 9. By nature, we have no skill in spiritual things. And because everything must be interpreted spiritually, without the word of God ordering our steps, we're consumed by the darkness of our own fallen natures. We wander a a pathway in a dense fog and quickly depart from the narrow way that leads to life. That's why David, in Psalm 17, prays, Hold up my goings in thy path, that my footsteps slip not. The psalmist greatly longs for the word of God, the commandments of his God. He would hear them. He would know them. He would hide them in his heart because he recognizes those testimonies as wonderful. And he does so realizing his own sinfulness and imperfection in light of that word. His own sinfulness is the cause of profound sorrow to him. He knows what it is to be on your own. It's a terrible way. And even as he looked around him, he confessed Rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. He knew that he would be in exactly the same position, taking those same wayward steps if it were not for the direction of God's word. So he prays, order my steps in thy word. Let my life, every thought, all my desires, every choice I make, every inclination of my heart, every inclining of my ear, every word that I speak, every single action I take, let all be motivated by and directed by thy word. I ask again, is this your chief desire? as we stand at the beginning of a new year and look toward tomorrow, above all other aspirations, above all other resolutions, do you long for your life to be governed by the word of God? It's striking in this connection that the word of which the psalmist speaks is is a a term that refers specifically to the word that God speaks. 
that God speaks. The original might be translated, order my steps by what thou sayest. The idea then is that this ordering of our steps is realized only when it pleases God to speak to us personally. That's true when we have his word also in the Holy Scriptures. From them, we, we learn the direction in which the Lord would direct our steps, and it's for that reason, too, it's absolutely necessary for us to live close to our Bibles, to search the Scriptures. It's necessary also to hear what God speaks to us. We are no mystics. God never speaks to us apart from the Scriptures. Yet God himself must speak to us. And he speaks to us by his spirit through the word. And unless he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit, we cannot possibly walk in the way marked out in the scriptures. Never can these testimonies and statutes and precepts and promises become a power in us, an irresistible power of directing all the issues of our life unless the Spirit of Christ, God himself, speaks, causing that word to become, as it were, a fire in our bones. Then and only then shall we say with David in Psalm 17, concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips I have kept myself from the paths of the destroyer. When God speaks to our hearts by his spirit, then and only then do we see that the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the ways of life, Proverbs 6, verse 23. His word preached. His word preached is the appointed means by which God, the Holy Spirit, works grace for the saving and converting of the souls of men men, women, and children. Let a man be fed by the books of this world and the world's philosophers and educators. Let him receive his instruction from the, the news media and so on, contrived by some of the most anti-Christian people on the planet. and he will have but faint respect to holiness. We are a sinful people. If we feed our lusts, we shall most certainly wander from the pathway of righteousness. Let this then be our prayer. Order my steps in thy word then we carry that word in our hearts.
then that word overpowers us so that we willingly and with delight subject ourselves to it and love it and obey it. Then the word is the motivating power directing all our life in every aspect of our existence. And then we live in fellowship with the living God, enjoying the consciousness of his presence and love. Order my steps in thy word. That's a daily necessity for us. Besides the expression of a daily necessity, that his steps be ordered by what Jehovah says, the psalmist also expresses a fervent desire, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Do you sense how deep is the awareness of his own sinfulness? Is that true for you too? The relationship between the two clauses of this petition is is evident. And its effect is, first of all, this. Lord, if thou dost not order my goings, surely iniquity will have dominion over me. There's a sense of personal weakness, therefore. He prays that God guides his every step according to his word, because that's the way of safety. But if the Lord, by his righteous providence, should permit him to fall, it is his fervent desire that he quickly be restored, that that sin may not consume him with its power. Sin, after all, is powerful. Sin is dominating. And the Christian, the one who's been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, even by promise as in the Old Testament, is horrified by the thought of being under the dominion of sin. The same idea is expressed in Psalm 19, verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. That is and must be our cry. As we think about tomorrow, that goes hand in hand with the plea, order my steps in thy word. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. We in whose heart has shown the discerning light of God's word must surely pray this prayer. That word, after all, uncovers in its clear, penetrating light the iniquity of our natures our incapability to do good, our inclination to every iniquity. That word reveals the glory of God's holiness to us. 
and shows us he can have no fellowship with the sinner. Must we then not then who love God's word in whom the life of Christ has been worked long to be free from any and every iniquity that would ensnare us? For God's sake, it must be so. We would not offend him who has so loved us. We ought not misunderstand this prayer as if it could be prayed by one who's still under the dominion of sin. No man still enslaved by the power of sin could possibly pray this prayer. Proverbs 28 verse 9 tells us, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. This fervent prayer of the psalmist is not a prayer of one far from God. The dominion of iniquity is of such a nature that one who is ensnared by its power is a slave. He has no desire to be freed even. And if you should somehow separate him from his master, he would seek and run right back to him. Because he that commits sin is a servant of sin, says John, Jesus said in John 8 verse 4. 34, he that goes on committing that sin is a servant of sin. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And so we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And so the apostle goes on to say in the next verse, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. This prayer is the fervent desire of the man who is free, but who is ever on the lookout for the lurking enemy. The price of liberty is constant vigilance, watchfulness. Isn't that what we are told in 1 Peter 5 verse 8? Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goeth about seeking whom he may devour. As we look toward tomorrow, we do so as those who are free. Those who are in Christ Jesus, free for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, verse 2, but the psalmist recognizes as a new creature in Christ that the old Lord of sin is always near. 
Satan never willingly gave up his rule over us. He consistently, stubbornly persists in trying to regain his his former dominion over us, to take us back into his captivity. And he does so knowing he's in an excellent position to do exactly that because he dwells in the same house as us who were formerly his slaves. He finds a strong ally, that is, right within the old nature of the believer. Yes, he lost his right to rule. And in principle, he was deprived of his power. But his former slave, you and me, is not completely out of his grasp until that old man of sin, his ally, is completely cast off at death. Only then does the believer finally escape him and that forever into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Meanwhile, that old serpent, the devil, our great adversary, has just about everything in his favor as he wages war against us and Christ's church. He not only has our old man as his ally, the members of this flesh, he has the world in which he operates and in which he lives as a world filled with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, all which conspire to bring the Christian back into the bondage of sin once again. Yes, indeed, the psalmist recognizes that his old Lord, that great enemy, encompasses him yet on every side. And realizing the dangerous position in which he takes his steps and loving his precious liberty in Christ, hating the dominion of sin with a perfect hatred and realizing that in his own strength he can never fight the battle to victory, he prays fervently. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Iniquity. What a terrible word. The word used here is a word that speaks of trouble and emptiness. It's exactly the opposite of what Satan would like us to believe. Iniquity is translated in this text is that which is void of anything good and leads only to trouble. Even though the sinner under the dominion of sin likes to think that in pursuing the pleasures of sin, he can remain unaffected and indeed will find much positive fruit with his friends. Even though he enjoys the pleasures of sin, For a season, he comes to find out he only deceived himself and the end of it all was more bitter than death. That apparently pleasing Lord of sin 
is a cruel, deceiving tyrant. The wages of sin is death. Any iniquity, let not any iniquity have dominion over me, for all iniquity is alike. Iniquity in every form is essentially the same. It's a great evil with a terrible end. Empty, full of trouble. Only the fool will not look to the end of the matter. And iniquity must result in horrible trouble because it's principally a rejection of the government of Christ. To commit iniquity, any iniquity, is to transfer the kingdom from Christ to Satan in our minds. That's what we do when we give way to the reign of sin. That's why the prophet Hosea speaks of sin in terms of violating God's covenant. It's to sacrifice the fellowship of Jehovah for the fleeting friendship of the devil and his minions. Oh Lord, let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Dominion? How terrible is the thought? That dominion itself takes many different forms. There's a dominion of sin that's even recognized by the world. Spoken of as addiction. But especially is that the case when one who calls himself a Christian is in the devil's power. Whoever it may be, who instead of trembling before the word of God, makes more of the will of his friends than the will of God, who loves his carnal companions rather than the companionship of Christ, and who instead of working out his own salvation with fear and trembling, instead runs into all excess, giving himself over to the things of this world, is seen even by the world as a slave to sin, a slave to his lusts. There are those even having grown up in the realm of the church who are so enslaved to the bondage of sin that the ungodly point to them and say, what a horrible figure. There goes the drunkard. He belongs to such and such a church. There goes the whore. She belongs to such and such a church. There goes the adulterer. How his wife puts up with him, I don't know. She's either blind or a fool. There goes the town gossip. Knows everybody's business likes to twist it too, so the world looks at the church. There are those whose sins have broken out into such an appalling,
appalling scab that it's visible to every eye. Dominion to iniquity. What an assault upon the name of Christ and his church. What horrible bondage. Except there be repentance, the end of that way is death. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. But there is a more secret dominion of sin that's hidden under the mask of a nice appearance. There are those who are nice people who appear to be fine Christians. And yet there's something that sits in their hearts, occupies the very place of God, a sin that's loved and served instead of God. And because God tells us no man can serve two masters, that which a man serves instead of God is a dominating sin. Now let's understand, people of God, we don't speak of those sins into which we fall, even repeatedly, yet war against every person as sin or, a, or sins that are more predominant in his or her life than in others. And we well know what the apostle was experiencing when he wrote in Romans 7, for what I would, I do not. And that which I would not, that do I. The Christian has a continual battle with his old man, with his sinful flesh. Sin gains the upper hand in some instances and is repeatedly attempting to bubble to the surface of our outward expression, let alone our thought life, and we hate it and we turn from it. It's a source of deep sorrow. Dominion, however, characterizes the one in whom there's a habitual reign of sin. It's marked by an unwillingness to receive admonitions and reproofs, even when approached by one who's close to them, who loves them. But there's an unwillingness to receive the reproof of God by his word. There's instead an attempt to excuse sin, to point the finger elsewhere, or to take an attitude, that's not so bad. There is bondage to sin, horrible bondage. Horrible dominion. And it ought to be evident to us that if we give ourselves up to any sin, even a secret sin, and refuse all efforts to turn from that iniquity, we become one of Satan's slaves. That's, a, that's an unspeakably horrible bondage. So the free child of God, the psalmist who has been redeemed, prays fervently with respect to the future, 
both today and tomorrow, aware of the fact that he's still inclined to all evil and especially to one form of iniquity more than another, the one to which his own sinful nature is most susceptible, he abhors them all. Deliver me from evil. That's his prayer. Do you join him as you stand at the beginning of a new year? This prayer is a humble prayer. It's a humble expression of dependence upon our Redeemer. With this prayer, all proud self-will and self-reliance is cast to the wind. With this prayer, we acknowledge that apart from the grace of God, we could not stand a moment. We have seen those who have departed from the faith, who are under the dominion of their iniquity. We had best take warning. Apart from God's grace ordering our steps and keeping us from the dominion of sin, we cannot stand a moment. I am weak, prone to stumble inclined even to seek the former dominion of iniquity. Keep me, Father. Will you pray this prayer with me, beloved? Will you pray it with the inspired psalmist? You must know who you are. You are a sinner, but a sinner saved by grace. You are Jehovah's claim, his handiwork. In Christ's blood, you have been purchased by God, taken into his fellowship. No better place is there, no safer place is there than the fellowship of God's covenant love. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. And seeking this grace from the Lord, humbly and earnestly, you shall receive the answer to your prayer. It is sure. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. When we go to God for the direction of our steps, he will not disappoint us. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide, even unto death. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we stand at the beginning of this new year, we do so with the petition upon our lips and in our hearts. Order my steps in thy word. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Grant that we may live with our eyes fixed upon Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.